A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Gare out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little, it is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geberer. Welcome, everyone, to Jewish History Soundbites. This is Yehudi Geber with another episode of Jewish History Soundbites. And today we'll examine a little bit the life, legacy, and the world, the times, the context of a very enigmatic figure in Jewish history, Moses Mendelssohn, who everyone, uh, anyone who remembers him either way, has seems to have an opinion about him. And... You know, just clearing up a few misconceptions, misunderstandings, and to learn a little bit about the world that he lived in, and perhaps a little about a little bit about him and his legacy as well. So the the question you want to ask is, did Moses Mendelssohn found the the movement that we know today as the as Reform Judaism, as the Jewish Reform movement, or alternatively? Ascala, the Jewish Enlightenment. Is that that's is that is that what he did? Um, was he actively trying to change or destroy, to a certain extent, um, traditional uh, uh, Judaism, as some Orthodox thinkers and writers, leaders later said? Did he even found any movement? Was he someone who founded a movement? In general, there's a larger question here, and it's not just about Moses Mendelssohn, but it's about the people of Jews and in the, in the story of Jews in the modern era, um, from the time of the Emancipation, the Enlightenment, modern times, um, from the late 18th century up until maybe even our own time, but for sure till the war. Um, was it were Jews like Mendelssohn primarily responsible for the secularization, assimilation of the majority of the Jewish people? Or was it in general more modern times, technology advancements, governments, emancipation, legislation uh, from governments? In other words, a whole, uh, uh, a whole bunch of outside factors that were primarily responsible. And what I'm really asking is, do we give too much credit to masculine reformers, thinkers of the modern era? Um, and really, there was 
a lot more responsibility attributed to outside factors, to modern the modern era, to modern times in general. And what's interesting is, is that there were three great Jewish leaders who lived during the 18th century with a bit of an overlap. Um, they, they All three of them somewhat overlapped. The three of them lived in completely different areas and had completely different views on Jewish life. And that was Moses Mendelssohn in Germany. And you have the Baal Shem Tev, who was the first one of the three in the Ukraine. And the last of the three, meaning the last of them who lived chronologically, of the three was the Vilna Gain up in Lithuania. And to, to a large extent, the modern Jewish life is greatly shaped, not exclusively, obviously, but to a large extent by these three figures. And they both lived during the same period of time, more or less. And I've seen quite a few um, researchers, writers, who point this out, the interesting that the 18th century produces three such different people who have such a tremendous influence on Jewish life till today, in each in their own way. And what I find interesting is that there's actually an interesting common denominator, common denominator, excuse me, of, of all three, in that, that none of these three founded a movement or worked within a mainstream institution of Jewish life at the time, uh, which is fascinating. And, and, and it's Dafka specifically, people like that who had such an influence on Jewry in the modern era. So there's a few aspects of, of Mendelssohn's life and legacy that need to be examined. Um, first of all, he grows up in a tradi traditional Jewish home. He, he, um, he comes, circumstances, which is, you know, getting too much into detail of his life, but circumstances of his life, bring him to Berlin, the capital of Prussia, one of the major seats of the Enlightenment and of the modern world at the time, um, in 1743, when he's 14 years old. He's born in 1729. His father was a cipher. His father was name was Mendel, and that, that's the reason of his last name, Mendelssohn. He's Mendel's son. And he arrives in Berlin um, as a 14-year-old, coming from Dessau, a city in Germany, and that's how many later writers referred to him when the Chassam Seifer wrote against Moshe Mendelssohn, Moses Mendelssohn, he wrote Moshe Mendelssohn, he, he writes, uh, Moshe Midesa, I think he even wrote Reb Moshe Midesa, if I'm not mistaken, I can double-check that, um, and that's how he was uh, known. And Obviously, the Chassam Seifer was writing against him, he said that he doesn't, want anyone of his students, his family, to read his biur, his his uh, famous pirish on Tanakh in German, and he himself would never use a chumash with the biur of, of uh, Moses Mendelssohn, but that we'll get to soon. So in any event, he arrives in, in, uh, in uh, like I said, in Berlin, and I want to just give an idea of what Berlin was like, you know, in the, in the pre-emancipation era which 1743 was still the pre-emancipation era. Um, Germany was one of the last countries in Western Europe, and in the Tsarist Russian Empire, obviously it comes even later. That, But the, Germany is one of the last countries in Western Europe um, that gives emancipation to 
its Jews, which is a story of really the 19th century. So in 1743, um, in a city like Berlin, which is a crown city, it's the capital of Prussia, there was no unification of Germany, obviously, yet that came well over a century later. In 1870, Otto von Bismarck unites Germany, the many different German states and city-states and provinces, and he brings them all with Prussia in, in the lead, obviously, um, and he brings it the unification of Germany. So in 1743, it's still Prussia, and Berlin does not officially allow Jews to live in the city, and again, special license and all kinds of conditions, and even when they came into the city, they had to come through a specific gate. Berlin was still a walled city then, incredibly enough, and there, he had to come through. He had to come through a gate that was designated for Jews and cattle. So that's the idea. This great um, future philosopher and the one who made it and was welcome in the court of the King of Prussia, Frederick, and the was the was comfortable in in the Enlightenment society of of the non-Jewish Berlin society. But when he originally arrives in Berlin, Moses Mendelssohn, as a fourteen-year-old, comes in through the gate that's designated for Jews and cattle. Now, throughout his life, no matter where he was stayed, if he was in Frederick's court, if he was a, a literary and philosophy critic, if he, was, if he was already well-versed in German literature and philosophy and already writing his own works, no matter what stage of his life, till he dies in 1786, he remains a traditional observant Jew. We would call in today's parlance, we would call it frum. He stayed religious. And uh, that's that's a fascinating thing about Moses Mendelssohn and his personal life. And to a certain extent, he becomes an apologist for traditional Jewish life to Berlin society, to the elite intellectual elite of Berlin society, which also brings another idea into context. The differences between Jews, the Jewish communities of Eastern Europe and in Western Europe, um, and many differences. One of the many differences that I want to point out in this context is that in Eastern Europe, you're looking at Jewish communities, whether it's in, at this point, still in the small shtetls, the small towns, or even later on with an urbanization of the Jews in the late 19th century, early 20th century, but the story of Jews in Eastern Europe is the Jews are a large and strong minority. And in many cases, many towns and even cities, they're close to a majority. In other words, they're in the critical mass of Jewry is always in Eastern Europe. And the, the apologetics work differently. There's the Jewish communities are strong. They have strong institutions. They are strong in numbers, and eventually, much later on, way later on, when Jewish politics comes to the scene, there's even Jewish political parties, but it's all symptoms of the fact that in Eastern Europe, the Jewish story is with a large demographic, and the apologetics to the surrounding population work different, very differently in that context. And the inner world of Jewish life and the inner dialogue of Jewish life, the challenges of modern times that are discussed work differently in that context. Whereas in Western Europe, in places like Germany, the Jews are a very small minority and the apologetics are always 
focused outside, towards the outside world, and not within a Jewish, or not, not, but rather less within the Jewish community. So he remains, like I said, an observant Jew, and he never founds a movement. He has a group of students, of disciples to a certain extent, surrounding him, which he builds up, and he eventually his career, really as a philosopher, as a philosopher critic, takes off, especially after he meets up with Gotthold Ephraim Lessing, a very prominent, eventually prominent German non-Jewish philosopher, and he um, he becomes his closest friend, and they embark on a lot of projects together. And but he doesn't found a movement. He definitely does not found the Reform Judaism that comes much later. The founders of Reform also. It's not clear because it really happens in stages. And uh, you know, although the focus is always on the German Reform, but where in Germany does it happen? And it's not necessarily always in Germany. There's, it pops up in other places as well. In fact, one of the earliest expressions of Reform Judaism is not even in Europe altogether. It comes up in, of all places, Charleston, South Carolina. is one of the birthplaces of Reform Judaism, but that's really another story. It didn't last very long there and also came from laymen, not from rabbis. A whole, a whole other story there. But a, the German Reform Judaism movement, which which uh, which is considered the the uh, the father of all Reform Judaism, is founded in, in a process. Again, it's hard to pinpoint a personality or a year, but mainly personalities like Abram Geiger, Samuel Holdheim. There was influence earlier on in an earlier generation by people like David Friedlander, Israel Jacobson, and it starts in the second decade of the 19th century, in the 18-teens, we'll call it. And it culminates in the late 1830s when Geiger um, calls a conference in Hamburg and there's a new prayer book, a Reformed prayer book in 1841. And uh, and uh, and that, that really was when the Reform movement, uh, Reform Judaism movement takes off. And if you think about the years, um, the early 1800s, and even especially the 1830s, is way after. You're talking about a long time after the passing of Moses Mendelssohn dies in 1786. And the movement is first starting to get off of the ground 30 years later, and really only gets off the ground about 50, 60 years later. So it definitely, he's not the founder of Reform Judaism. And... The other results of secularization, you're talking about, um, you know, total secularization, assimilation, intermarriage, conversion to the German Lutheran or Protestant church. That's definitely not ideals that he would have uh, believed in. He wanted to keep a traditional Jewish life, but with an encounter in the modern world. And that's the whole paradox of Moses Mendelssohn is that the results of secularization, which eventually led, even in his own family, his grandchildren were Christian, um, but it, what it led to assimilation, um, intermarriage, conversion, um, things like that, it's not something that he himself promoted or was a champion of. He was a champion of embracing the modern world and and coming up with an ideology and a philosophy of Jewry in the modern world that somehow 
synthesizes the modern world, contemporary life, uh, German culture, German philosophy, while still uh, remaining rooted and entrenched in traditional Judaism. And that's, and that's the, the attempt that he made. Um, he may have been successful at it in, in his own personal life. And 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 uh, and the the results are are problematic. In other words, one of the ironies is that many Orthodox Jews today, uh, across the spectrum, I mean, not not in very very conservative uh, circles, but in most, I don't know if most, I'll say many Orthodox Jews today are what would have been considered in Mendelssohn's day enlightened. They speak. Not reform, not reform Judaism, talking about enlightened. In other words, they use the vernacular, they use the local language, which was something that Mendelssohn promoted, right? Using proper German, using a refined German in speech and translating, right? His literary output, right? We talk about him as a personality and what he taught, but he also wrote quite a bit. Um, his, his most famous books was a book called Jerusalem, about Jewish philosophy, and he also had his even more famous book was the Biur. He translated um, the Tanakh into German, which many Jews and non-Jews praised the impeccable translation and the beautiful use of German. Some even said it was a better German translation of the Bible than Luther's, than Martin Luther, the father of the Protestant Reformation. Um, and it included his Biur, his Pirush on Tanakh, which which had some interesting ideas, which the, the Chassam Seifer, which I mentioned earlier, said, pointed to certain passages that he felt were heretical, were apicursus, and uh, therefore it's, it's forbidden to read them or to look at them. And, um, and the, 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 but, 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 but the use of German right there, that's what I was pointing out. The idea that we can absorb, uh, that, that many Orthodox Jews today, again, absorb certain elements of non-Jewish culture, value systems, secular knowledge, and openness to ideas. These were all the, the uh, quote-unquote terrible ideas that Mendelssohn promoted and, and lived his life by that many Orthodox Jews practice today. So that's a bit of an irony of Moses Mendelssohn is that um, Reform Judaism today can't see in his personal life any any precedent to the way that Jewish life is lived. Definitely the assimilationists can't see in Moses Mendelssohn as someone who, who uh, promoted their, those ideals. And, and, and the and Orthodox Jew today has a very strong distaste and dislike for this, for this Moses Mendelssohn. He, he's, you know, he's out, he's out, of, the, out of the picture. He's, he's like a bad guy. And uh, interesting, I saw uh, um, an article recently written by renowned a researcher, writer, editor, Menachem Butler. He wrote in a Learhaus article a couple of years ago, which I just recently read, a fascinating story of, of a dispute in the Jewish observer of that time, the now defunct Jewish observer the, of, of the Agudas Yisrael, about Mo Men Moses Mendelssohn's legacy. And, and does it have a place? And what is this tragic legacy of Moses Mendelssohn. It's a fantastic article. And um, it really brings out the point of how do we look at Moses Mendelssohn and his legacy today, both in his personal life 
and what uh, flowed from him and the ideas that he promoted. So this was uh, Yehuda Geber with Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at ygebss at gmail.com for questions, comments, sources, and, and of course, trips. Uh, Moses Mendelssohn was buried in the Berlin Jewish Cemetery. We do trips of Germany also, of course, all over Jewish Europe. So make sure to be in touch, even though his, the cemetery was destroyed uh, by the Nazis, but it's been reinstated. There's a new monument there, so we can go um, to, um, to there as well. And, of course, any other trips across Jewish history in Europe and other stuff, be in touch. You can follow Jewish History Soundbites in iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher. Don't miss an episode. You can follow us on Twitter at JSoundbites, and I hope you enjoyed.